0: Hi, everyone. I am Dr. Dave Donahue, and I want to welcome you to the Health Rules podcast. This is the podcast where every episode we focus in on a topic of vital importance, and uh, we interview an expert, and we go deep into the science, and we build out a web page and a checklist and a um, series of other resources that you can use to achieve the very best possible outcomes in that particular area. And we published it on our website, healthrules.org. So today we are going to focus on a topic that is of vital importance. And we're going to build the checklist on what people can do for climate change and their health. So as you know, climate change is now at an emergency level and they call it the climate emergency. It's no longer about exotic ideas like faraway polar bears floating on a small and shrinking block of ice in the Arctic, but rather it's about flooding, it's about wildfires, crop failures, hurricanes, evacuations, forced migration, hunger, food insecurity, water insecurity. It's about social isolation of staying indoors for months at a time It's a direct threat to your own health, uh, and it's accounting for more and more death and disability, not just in the remote developing world, but here at home as well. So the sirens of climate change are sounding daily. In June, 2021, before summer even kicked off, the Western United States was experiencing its worst drought in over a decade with new wildfires at a 10 year high in Brazil. The Amazon is experiencing its worst drought in 90 or more years. Many people think it's approaching a tipping point where it cannot be saved. People are getting displaced globally and we have heartbreaking stories of desperation and death as people try to flee areas of food insecurity or much of military conflict is driven and fueled by climate change. In this In the first half of the 21st century, it is the global poor who will suffer the most from the climate emergency. But as we progress and enter into the second half, uh, it will affect the affluent and there will be no guarantee of security no matter where you live. Who is most affected by climate emergency here at home? Well, it's It's the most vulnerable people in our communities. It's the children, it's the babies. Pregnant women, the elderly, and of course the poor, undocumented immigrants. Uh, And yes, it affects uh, people of color and people of uh, minority backgrounds more than it does mainstream or whiter populations. So with that, it is my pleasure to introduce this week a expert on this topic of what we can do about climate change to save our own health but also to uh, do our part to to try to prevent that you know this this ongoing and developing disaster and the expert that we're bringing in this episode is Dr. Poonam Maru and Dr. Maru is someone who I know Uh, and and a very close and dear friend and uh, an admired colleague who has uh, really made a name for herself in this space of uh, climate health. Um, She's given um, some really good talks. She's been very influential in her health system and she's got a lot of very, very good ideas. So I hope you uh, enjoy this discussion as much as I did. And I hope that uh, you find some nuggets, some ideas, some things that you can change in your own life to not only achieve greater health, but also to achieve a smaller uh, footprint and a lighter tread on this this delicate planet of ours. So with that, here is Dr. Poonam Maru. So Dr. Poonam Maru, welcome to the Health Rules podcast. Great.
1: I'm excited to be here, Dave.
0: <laughs> I am so excited to have you. My gosh, we go way back, don't we?
1: Yes, we do. I met you and Debbie um, as a second-year internal medicine resident. Gosh, about a decade ago now.
0: (laughs) Yes, and you have gone on to much bigger and better things, and we're so (laughs) impressed. Uh, I'm so excited to spend this time. Thank you for carving out some time out of your incredibly busy schedule.
1: No, honestly, and thank you so much for having me here. This is a really exciting opportunity. I think both of our interests are aligned, so it's great to chat with you about this
0: we share a lot of common interests. So <laughs> if you could introduce yourself.
1: Okay, um, so I'm Punamaru. Um, I am a inter- board certified internal medicine physician. I'm here in the DC metro area. I went to uh, college at Barnard College of Columbia University majoring in economics um, and then medical school in Southern California. And I met Dave while I was at residency at Christiana Care in Delaware and worked there for a few years before starting my role here. And part of my role is seeing patients um, in the ambulatory setting. And part of my role is also um, providing graduate medical education to internal medicine residents as well, which is very exciting.
0: And and so where is here?
1: Here is in the DMV. Um, so I work right now at Permanente Medicine.
0: Okay, Permanente Medicine.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You're in the Washington D.C. metro area, right? Right. Awesome. Um, so, <clears throat> tell us. Uh, I mean, you 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 kind of glossed over some of the really cool stuff you're up to, but um, could could you could you go in a little more depth about some of the exciting things?
1: Absolutely. So um, I am part of. Um, a new internal medicine residency program that started in July, 2020. Um, we have six residents and are growing every year for the three-year training program. And um, part of my role as core faculty is also as a resident clinic director in their ambulatory setting. So just like you did, just like I did during our residencies, um, we see our own panel of patients and um, you know, I have the privilege of kind of teaching them ambulatory Uh, general internal medicine Um, and part of my role also is to kind of explore some of my passions or scholarly activity and that's kind of where you and I intersect um, because climate change and its impact on health is something that's very important to me and very interesting to me so I'm hoping to um, you know incorporate that into my practice and my scholarly activity for the residency program.
0: And you've been accruing a lot of uh, knowledge and wisdom in this space and uh, I can vouch that you, you give a really mean uh, PowerPoint presentation about all the implications of climate change for health. Um, maybe just a flavor for some of the stuff you've been up to there.
1: Sure. Um, so I was you know, fortunate enough to give um, a presentation about two years ago pre-COVID um, to our Physician group, and you know, a lot of traction, um, interest in climate change um, have been expressed by our physicians. So we've had an opportunity to get involved by getting um, some a Green Teams initiative going um, to try to kind of make our our physicians, you know, help our physicians be green, help our office be be green. And I hope that we can talk a little bit more today about how patients can, um, you know, can do their part for climate change.
0: OK, that, that, is, uh, that sounds like a great topic. Well, <laughs> before we jump to that topic, um, how can people follow you or um, stay abreast of your uh, awesome activities?
1: <laughs> so um, unlike most millennials, I'm not currently on social media. But um, you can definitely send me a message on LinkedIn. Um, and for physicians, I'm on DocSendMe as well. So that, those would be two places to reach out to me. Um, yeah.
0: Nice. Well, you are the smart one, <laughs> staying away from uh, social media. Well, great. Well, let's jump to it. So what is the checklist that we're going to build today?
1: So I um, had an opportunity to see the, the previous checklist that you had um, that was more geared towards physicians. And I think um, you both did a really great job with that. So I thought that I would play play off of that a little bit and we can do a checklist on what patients can do um, for climate change and their health.
0: Okay, because uh, what, one thing we're coming to realize is that climate change and health are quite linked, aren't they?
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, just going back to my love and kind of how it started, how, um, how, how I became interested in climate change Um, You know, I remember when I first learned about fossil fuels, I think I was in third grade here. And um, the image that kind of comes to mind, you know, back when I was that little was, I think on National Geographic, there was on the cover, um, there was like a lonely polar bear. And, you know, he was on a piece of ice, and it was drifting in the Arctic Ocean. And, you know, that was it. And as someone who, you know, practices the Jain philosophy um, of nonviolence. I was only beginning to understand at that time, animal rights, but it's still, you know, I remember thinking, well, that's not really fair what we're doing to the, the animals and the polar bears, but the problem just felt so far away. Um, And then as I continued to learn more about it, you know, I wanted to take some action. So in sixth grade, I remember joining the Ecology Club in middle school. And, you know, there we advocated for recycling and, um, you know, celebrated Earth Day together, those kinds of activities. But again, it just, the problem just continued to feel so different, Um, you know, and so distant to people as I discussed it with, you know, my fellow students at that time um, and teachers. And then over the years, I feel like the story has really changed. So, you know, it's no longer about that polar bear floating on on that piece of ice. It's, you know, the patient on the stretcher being evacuated from the hospital in Santa Clara, California, you know, with large engulfing flames visible in the background. It's um, the thousands of people around the Superdome after Katrina. Um, It's, you know, it's that qual bear that's covered in soot, you know, that picture that we saw being rescued by the firefighter, um, you know, after the Australian um, Australian wildfires kind of incinerated habitats of hundreds of species. It's, you know, it's the little boy, I think his name was Alan Kurdi, um, the little Syrian, you know, three-year-old boy that was washed up on, on the shores of the Turkey beach. It's, it's, it's really hitting home now. And I think, you know, the time for action, is now, and I think this conversation that we're having is so important because it's not—it's not about that polar bear anymore.
0: Mm. Well said. Um, I could not agree more. It is, and and if uh, if the, the news of the day is not putting that exclamation point at the end of the words "climate emergency" or "climate crisis," um, you know, I don't know what is, but it, it's—we uh, have really truly seen. Climate change unfolding. It's we don't know. We no longer talk about this as something in the future, r- but rather this is something very much here and now, and it's already beginning to unfold. Right?
1: Yeah, ex- exactly right. And you know, the topic today is just so important because it affects all of us. It affects our health um, and the health of the environment are so intertwined now that, like you said, we can't talk about one without really talking about the other. Um, you know. Just just examples that I gave um, because of these kind of tumultuous events, you know, these people are getting displaced, um, there's financial insecurity as a result, Um, social support networks break down, transportation can break down, you know, so access to basic things, whether it's food, water, um, you know, um, basic services, human health, all of those are going to be compromised and are compromised, so it's especially important um, for those reasons. Yep. And most heartbreaking of all is, you know, just like we're seeing right now with, you know, that we saw with Katrina, for example, you know, these kinds of events are going to affect the people that are most vulnerable. So that's children and babies, it's, you know, pregnant p- women, it's the elderly, it's undocumented immigrants, it's minorities, you know, um, he and I, before we were just talking about redlining, right, in um, certain occupations like laborers and farmers, um, they're, they're affected the most. And I, I, you know, I have patients that I see, um, in my own panel that, you know, I, I know are affected by climate change and their disease is part, you know, is, is due to climate change. So it's pretty remarkable the things that we see now, um, you know, that just were so distant in the past, but now are, are reality.
0: It is heart, heartbreaking. Um, Absolutely. well, hopefully we'll get a chance to talk a little bit more about some of those examples of what you're seeing in the clinic. But why don't we jump into uh, the the steps that we can follow? What what is step one on the checklist on what patients can do for climate sure. And health? Sure.
1: So um, the first and foremost thing is just learning the facts. I think that that's incredibly important. And with some with a topic like climate change, there's so many different you know facts happening, and so many different parts of our world that are affected. So a couple of things that we can do to kind of better equip ourselves to be able to take action is understand what what parts there are. So one is just, you know, educating yourself, whether it's podcasts and documentaries, um, reading books, um, you know, reading the newspaper, whatever form, um, you know, Inconvenient Truth by Al Gore that was, you know, 10, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 15 years ago, um, our planet, food inc. Um, you know, a lot of those, the plastic ocean. A lot of those are just examples of things that we can do. Um, we can watch and educate ourselves about the different topics, whether it's animal rights or, um, or you know, or food, food insecurity, um, plastic, the plastic revolution. All of those. Mm. And incorporated in that, um, some things. If you're if you're a numbers person, um, I really liked the whole activity of calculating your carbon footprint. So there are free um, calculators available. I think the Nature Conservancy has one, um, and possibly your own kind of uh, energy provider might be able to provide you with one as well. And it's just a great way to understand the impact of our daily life and our daily activities. So some of the things that some uh, carbon you know carbon footprint calculators will calculate include kind of, you know, what kind of car you have, um, how long your transportation or your commute is, for example, what your average home, home energy bills are, um, you know, shopping, food, those kinds of activities. And just getting an idea of kind of how we impact the environment um, or your household impacts the environment. I think that's like, a, that's really eye-opening. Um, and the other one, which might be a little controversial right now is just learning how to recycle. So, so many of us, I think, want to get involved and want to recycle, but there are, you know, there are problems in the whole recycling stream and system. So just understanding, you know, does your county accept glass? Um, What recycling numbers, uh, you know, which are found on hard plastics, um, do do they allow? Do do you have a composting option? Um, So, you know, food waste is a really big problem here in the U.S. And um, as it breaks down in the landfills, there's a lot of methane that's released. And that contributes to climate change. So, what can we do? Is composting is a really great solution. Um, if you're lucky enough to have, you know, to not live in an apartment or something, um, you know, you can have, um, you know, you can have a big composter, the, the traditional ones with the worm bins. Um, and then, if you do live in an apartment building, there are some communities and counties that are allowing for, um, for you know, that are allowing you to participate in composting. Um, so I think those are really great, great options, and another thing that we don't always think about is recycling electronics. So we go through iPhones and you know d- different products so quickly um, and putting them in the r- landfill really does um, harm the environment. So what are some ways that we can find, you know, find ways and, and people that, that help you recycle that, those products?
0: so <clears throat> Learning the facts. It, it can be a daunting thing to learn the facts because most of us haven't been taught much of the facts. And, and we we never really studied this in school. I don't know why, but for some reason, um, sustainability and climate change are not topics of, they're not core subjects anyway. Uh, and clearly they're sneaking into the curriculum nowadays, but it's, it's kind of based uh, on what the teacher feels like teaching. At. That's the sense I get from my own kids' education. Um, and it can be daunting to try to learn this stuff. Um, fortunately, I, I think we're all seeing it creep into the news. If you read the New York Times, you get a lot of climate news. They even have like climate um, uh, email services that you can sign up for to uh, periodically get some climate-focused news. But even so, it's, it, it could be a challenge, right, to uh, kind of start. It's like a whole new language you got to learn.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's, you know, and you don't want to do it right. So there's that fear. Um, I mean, you want, you don't want to do it wrong. So there's, um, there's that fear, you know, of doing that, but even, you know, simple things like pizza boxes, right. Um, you know, um, if they have any grease on them at all, they, you know, it, it can damage the machine. So we recommend, you know, cutting that piece out and then, Um, and discarding that so it's just those little tips and tricks just kind Mm -hmm. of learning you know having a video or watching a couple of videos that just you know on YouTube we have so much access to information now and ability to kind of do anything (laughs) um, nowadays
0: yeah even more important than uh, recycling is probably reducing right reducing and absolutely and uh, food waste you 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 mentioned and it is a, a chief uh source of climate change that we have power over and one of the things that i tell patients is go for the old food first make it your personal mission not to throw away food ever but if you have to yes please compost it rather than put it in a landfill
1: yeah absolutely absolutely and you know sometimes if you're there's there's tips and tricks for food waste as well to prevent that from happening so um, for example, if you love like your fresh herbs, you know, put them in water, wash them right away, cut off the stems a little bit and then put them in water. It'll imp- improve their life, um, their life mm. a lot more in the fridge. Um, yes. You know, carrots, celery, you can cut those up and put them in water and store them. And, and that's a great, easy to go snack. Mm. Um, and then the freezer, always utilize the freezer. So if something's going bad really quickly, chop it up, he- you know, any fresh fruits or vegetables, you know you've eaten like two days worth of chili and there's more <laughs> vegetarian chili left and you don't want to have any more, instead of throwing that out, you can freeze it.
0: Mm, absolutely, The freezer is your friend. I, I like the freezer that is your friend. <laughs> but, but a lot of people just aren't in the habit of that. We haven't learned that skill. and In a sense, it's kind of a skill. I mean, a lot of this is trivial skills, but it's skills that we, that we, yeah. we never, never were taught, unfortunately. So again, that, that sustainability curriculum that we so desperately need for our um, civilization to survive um, would include things like how to recycle and what's recyclable and, and how to avoid food spoilage and so forth. You mentioned absolutely. the climate uh, footprint, your carbon footprint. Um, this is a, a challenge for people because you get a number in, in, in a unit and you don't even know, you know uh, what it means. Like, wh- what is a ton of carbon dioxide, right? Uh, uh, right? Yeah, megaton- absolutely. It's yeah.
1: it's a number that doesn't that doesn't correlate. It's not like it's saying you know here's one pound of something that you have. Um, so a lot of these climate calculators actually are um, kind of interpreting that for you. So um, one thing even that I do in my talks is I'll explain like how much there is, uh, how much like carbon carbon output or carbon um, there is. You know made from something and then mm-hmm. i'll translate it to you know blank loads of laundry or you know mm-hmm. this many dishwashers or it's you know this many cars driving this many miles and so a lot of the calculators are doing that they're interpreting it in different ways mm-hmm. um to help you understand kind of what kind of impact that is you know the yeah. classic one that i think you and i probably know of is like a quarter pound burger and you know how much water it takes to actually um produce that so those kinds of um you know analogies are really helpful I think to understand um the bigger picture
0: and what is that number do you know the number oh my
1: goodness know? isn't it like gosh I'm trying to think of how many um hold on I, I have that down somewhere
0: like 600. <laughs> um,
1: but it's pretty it's pretty remarkable um it's right it's enough water to feed hold on Oh no! This is this is uh, the livestock livestock production uses seventy five percent. Oh yeah! So a single quarter pounds burger takes four hundred twenty five gallons of water to produce.
0: Okay, and that's, and that's, multiple, that's, months that's
1: and, yeah, and so that's enough water to feed seventeen hundred thirsty people.
0: Yeah, um, <clears throat> so calculating your carbon footprint, and and so some of the high, j- just so people know. Um, like what are the things that impact your carbon footprint the most, or will we get that to that in the rest of this checklist?
1: Um, no, we, I think we're gonna talk about something else, but um, so some of the basic things I would say is, you know, f- food and um, food related waste. So waste that we talked about, but also food production. So what you're actually consuming. Um, so that's where, you know, you and I have talked about plant forward um, or plant-based Diets are incredibly um, helpful to the environment because so much ground and so much land is used to help um, with to help with agriculture um, and uh, and raising livestock that as a result, you know, that is one of the most. um, The most like methane intensive um, activities that we do here in the US and so just reducing your your meat intake your dairy intake is going to make an incredible dent. Um, in your daily life um, and towards your carbon footprint. So that would be, I think, a really big one. Um, and then some other opportunities that we might, you know, talk about, I guess, in number, number two, which is um, implementing change, I guess, on my checklist would be, um, would be kind of switching to a cleaner power, um, cleaner energy power. A lot of uh, different utilities are offering that, and it's as simple as you know sending them an email or calling and switching over. Literally, nothing else you know needs to be done, and that can be done in rental units. It can also be done in um, at your homes. Mm. So something you know, cleaner power includes renewables, wind, solar. Um, and, you know, it's kind of a win-win. It's not going to make that much of a difference in your, um, you know, in your bill from month to month, but it's going to have a huge impact on your health and environmental health.
0: Okay. I love that one. Um, yeah. And, and and it goes state by state, which states uh, permit that, but uh, my state permits it. And uh, it's dead, as you said, it's dead easy. We just set up for wind years ago, yeah, decades ago. And. And you know you don't notice anything. It doesn't really affect the cost, mm-hmm. but you're sourcing your electricity from wind instead of a regional coal burning or yeah. natural gas burning.
1: And I love that my bill at the end of you know at the end of every month it says you've saved blah blah blah, and that's the equivalent of you know this this and this. And so it's just it's nice to see your impact every you know every month, and um, mm-hmm. I think it's really empowering.
0: It's empowering, and it's so easy.
1: It's uh, it, so should, easy. it should be
0: the default thing, right? I mean, we're already cost parity, uh, roughly, for solar generated and wind generated power versus coal and natural gas, right? Uh, Absolutely,
1: okay. an opt out, uh, opt out system would be much better. Um, yeah. But yeah, hopefully, you know, that'll be that'll be changes coming up soon. But.
0: Absolutely. I completely agree with that. So switching to cleaner energy, I'm glad you brought that up. That is Mm -hmm. such, it's really kind of a no brainer. I mean, if you can't do that one little switch and then the whole rest of your life at, at at this abode is going to be so much cleaner. Uh, That's a good one. Okay. What else?
1: So um, we talked about food waste and plant forward meals. Um, Water, so water intake is um, and water, water bottle use. So that's related to plastic. So if you do decrease um, your plastic water bottle consumption, that can make a really huge impact um, <clears throat> on the environment. Um, there was a study done by Plastic um, PlasticOcean.org, I believe, and basically about 17 million barrels of oil are used to produce 50 billion, with a B, disposable plastic water bottles. And here in the US, only about one in five are actually properly recycled. So, you know, when, when we're talking about the math, most of them are going into the ocean. And a quick, easy switch, um, you know, again, great for you, great for the environment, is to use reusable bottles. Um, and actually long-term, you'll save a lot of money with that. Um, generally, the ones that are stainless steel and really easy to clean and don't rust um, are anywhere from twenty to thirty dollars, and you're going to recoup those costs within a month.
0: Yeah, and you can get the the, the same quality or maybe even better quality water um, with a, a good Brita filter or something like that, which has been studied. Or, Absolutely, or, you
1: know. um, there was a a study, I believe it was in the Annals of Internal Medicine last year um, or the year before, perhaps that basically kind of did a breakdown of, um, it took patient stool and it broke it down and, um, it found a ton of microplastics in there. And mm. some of that is coming from, you know, the food that we're eating, that we're heating in plastic, um, and the, the water that we're consuming. So, um, they said it was about a credit card's worth of plastic in our body. And, you know, that stuff does not need to be in there. We're seeing increased cancer rates and, you know, an increased, um, you know, health-related issues, and um, some of that is being contributed
0: by that. Mm. By the 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 water bottles, the the disposable water bottles themselves contribute some of that microplastic to them. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And you don't know what kind of environment they've been in. So heating any kind of plastic can, um, you know, whatever the contents are, can mm-hmm. absorb some of that. So you know, in transport, they're not they're not stored in you know cooled cooled transportation like other you know other drinks are. So that might be a cause that might be contributing to that.
0: Yep. And drinking water, of course, so important for health. um, Absolutely,
1: uh, absolutely. Um, And then when, you know, going on and talking about food and and water, um, you know, I think a huge impact that you can make in the kitchen is, you know, is your shopping. So buying produce, um, buying bulk items, um, grains, legumes, seeds. um, And then when you are going, you know, a lot of people like the bunches of bananas that they buy and leave like the singles there and a lot of those single bananas are actually discarded so opt to buy you know those singles there's no difference between you know four of those singles and a bunch of four so I always go ahead and I grab um, grab the singles that are there Um, I always kind of make an make an active decision to buy loose carrots rather than the ones in the plastic bags for example. And I always carry around a bunch of bags with me, so you know the loose, the loose mushrooms, and you know that you can kind of put in your own bag or put in a compostable bag that they offer, rather than um, buying th- buying ones that are already in that styrofoam, which is really hard to degrade. It takes years um, for that to degrade.
0: Well, so those are some now. of
1: my yeah. And then shopping locally, so local local farmers market or local um, co-ops are really important um, to help support those smaller smaller um you know mom and pop places but also you know seasonally also it's better for your health if you eat those um you know and and consume the the foods that are grown locally and in season awesome yeah
0: okay (laughs) that's good there's a
1: lot of changes that you can implement
0: (laughs) these are exciting things these are these are things that make you feel good right
1: Absolutely. And it really, you know, they're, they're, I try to think of, you know, things that are kind of really tangible and really easy. Like you can wake up tomorrow and, you know, make some of those changes.
0: Mm. Okay. So I, I have um, learned the facts. Number one, I put calculate your footprint. Number two as maybe a separate exercise. Sure. Uh, switch to cleaner energy, a no brainer F- uh, food waste. Is that, that was an item and, and Deserve special call out. If you go to drawdown.org, food waste is uh, like arguably the number one contributor uh, to climate change in terms of the behaviors that we uh, exhibit. And then uh, number five was reduce uh, plastic water bottle consumption. Yeah. So, yeah. That's
1: always again like a really go-to. And some other like tricks, you know, let's say you're it's time to buy a new appliance, you know. Um, if you're able to afford one, get one that's energy efficient, that's eco-friendly. Um, usually, those work a lot better on lower energy. Um, and then, something simple, um, you know, keeping your tri- tire tire pressures at goal. Um, so, you know, a difference of two psi in your in your tire pressures in all four tires will lead to a one to two percent decrease in the fuel efficiency of your car. So, you know, if you are driving driving your car, make sure that it's more fuel efficient. So um, you know, just keep an eye on your tires.
0: <laughs> okay. But when, when you mention cars, um, the probably bigger thing is don't own a car in the first place. If you can live in a place where you don't need, need a car or if you don't need that extra car. Absolutely. And then secondly, it, so again, it's reduced reuse. Uh, but secondly, would be probably an electric car, right? I mean, oh, yeah, a lot greener.
1: And luckily, I think it is the time and the era of the electric car. So that's really exciting. Um, A lot of companies are getting on board, um, which is really nice to see that, you know, people have different options coming up and, um, you know, to see private companies kind of leaning in towards this new mandate, That's exciting. I think you know a couple of a couple of the companies have said by twenty thirty, by twenty thirty five, by twenty forty, they're going to be electric vehicles only. So
0: yeah, it's a little frustrating to still see. You know, it's twenty twenty one carbon. We're we're halfway to doubling the CO two in the atmosphere, and people are still buying smoking cars. You know,
1: yeah,
0: the the uh, internal combustion engines, and you really would think we we would have hopefully reached a point by now where we could. To, totally turn our back. I get it that they're still a little cheaper than electric, but that's changing quickly. And uh, the argument can be made that although it might look cheaper right now, the long certainly the long-term total cost, when you when you take into account all the, the carbon pollution that you're putting out, is is much higher. But even not taking that into account, um, you're going to be stuck with this car for 10, 20 years um, that. Uh, has a, a declining resale value because um, we are going to be switching wholesale away from burning these fossil fuels and these gas. This whole concept of a gas station, I think. What do you think? Yeah,
1: yeah, no, definitely. And then you know, in California, they have the hydrogen fuel, which is very interesting as well. Um, I do agree with you. I think you know, I I don't think that they're low enough right now to to um, to be accessible to everyone that needs a car. So I'm hoping though that with the influx of um, new markets and as supply increases, um, you know, and as demand is there, um, the cost will go down. I'm remaining hopeful. (laughs) I thought it would take years before, you know, before people were doing that. But I think, you know, I'm seeing so many, at least here in the DMV, um, the DC, Maryland, Virginia area, we're seeing a lot more electric vehicles, a lot more charging stations. Um, and, you know, I, I think it's, it's mm-hmm. gonna happen. I think it's gonna be a lot more in the, the coasts um, and bigger cities. And I think eventually it'll kind of, you know, it'll be everywhere, but I think it's going to be hard in rural areas, also. But
0: when we're talking about local transportation, I mean, clearly using the public transit is going to be the lower carbon footprint option. Walking and biking would be best if, when and if it could be done safely, right?
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And we're seeing more and more bike lanes. Uh, Delaware has an incredible number of bike lanes per capita. Um, you know, D.C. here has has more and more growing, uh, growing number of bike lanes. And yeah, bigger cities have the luxury of um, public transportation. So to utilize them to, I think it's gonna be really important to make sure that our infrastructure is, you know, is updated um, to make that more efficient as well throughout the country. Um, and then, you know, commuting back and forth or transportation back and forth from big cities to That's a really big opportunity for um, like the train system and other systems too, to be available. Mm -hmm. um it is really reassuring though in the last five or ten years seeing um you know bike shares and scooters and you know those that are kind of charged and recharged with renewable energy so Mm -hmm. people are kind of using more transportation uh more different modes of transportation which is Mm -hmm. really reassuring
0: yeah so part of part of that making our our communities more bike safe uh and bike friendly um Uh, And and that involves a little bit of perhaps political activism to get that the zoning changed and so forth.
1: Absolutely, which is one of my points. (laughs) You're jumping the gun. (laughs) Um, That's great. No, so you know, um, do you know in medical school we kind of you know we learned like see one, do one, teach one. Yeah. So, um, you know, C1 is kind of just like learning how to, how to do it. Um, And we talked a little bit about that, but, you know, there's, there's one called like, you know, like, like do one. So you're, you're implementing the change and then teach one, which is sharing the facts that you've learned. So um, I really think it's important for patients to kind of learn as, as they're learning all of this stuff to incorporate it and then to share with others. So some really great opportunities to bring it to your community, to talk about it at church you know, your workplace, um, family, your school teacher, um, uh, daycares, um, you know, all of those places around your community are going to be great ways for you to bring local action, local change, and, um, and to teach your community. So some examples or thoughts that I had, you know, help your office reduce their paper waste, um, you know, remove the plastic mugs and the plastic um, utensils and replace them with reusable ones. Um, and implement a recycling, recycling program for your electronics or your ink cartridges so that things are safely disposed. Um, you know, write or call local restaurants, you know, um, are they recycling? Are they providing plant based food options? And, you know, and as you know, sometimes restaurants don't know their community as well, especially if they're new. So it's a great time for us to um, you know for you as a patron to kind of give them some input as well. Um, and then for parents, I think encouraging their daycare or their school system to have, you know, provide more plant forward meals for the kids would be a really great way to teach the kids, um, and as, as well as provide them with healthy meals.
0: Hmm. <clears throat> yeah, I think, uh, the food that you serve someone is basically teaching them a lesson. So when, when our schools continue to serve carbon intensive, uh, Animal-based products and dairy products and uh, meats and and so forth, processed foods. Um, we are teaching people the skill of eating carbon-intensive, unhealthy foods. So we we, we really should uh, take that opportunity in schools to teach people how to live and in and in, and in eat in a sustainable way, right?
1: Yeah, you're absolutely right. And you know the, the the facts and you know just the impact on the kids' health at that time. We're seeing extraordinarily large number of, um, you know, obese children in pediatrics, and then, you know, they come to us as, as adults and, you know, we see complications of that. So whether it's diabetes or hypertension, so a lot of that can be just preventable rather than treating it, you know, after the fact. So it'd be great, it'd be great to kind of change, uh, change that, you know, from, from its foundation or from the get-go.
0: Amen. (laughs) So is that is education one one of the changing our education system? Is that sort of one of your items, or
1: I would I would love that. <laughs> I think you spoke about that um, you know early on. Is why are we not talking about or or teaching or having part of the curriculum you know in school talking about climate change, talking about sustainability, talking about how to you know how to live in this environment? Um, a lot of those practical skills that you're talking about mm-hmm. that would be pretty powerful, especially you know kids are so especially at a young age or so, you know, they're just little sponges. They will, they mm-hmm. will take up and do whatever you teach them. So it's such a great opportunity to expose them to, you know, more of the world.
0: Yeah. Some of these, you teach someone some, a little bit of sustainability skills and they carry it their whole lives. So it's just reduces impact, not just one day, but like day after day after day.
1: Absolutely. And that generate, you know, the generation Z, they're very, you know, active and involved and they see kind of the, the impacts that climate change is having. And it's really great to see how motivated they are and how, um, how they're leaning into to change. So I'm, I'm very hopeful.
0: (laughs) They say, what was it? Max Planck said that science progresses one funeral at a time. In other words, you really have to clear out the old generation to have some new ideas come in. And, and it's gratifying to see both uh, the millennials, your generation, as well as Gen Z, um, getting it finally, you know, not, not sticking their head in the sand uh, with regard to this this major problem of climate change.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And so I think, there, you know, part, part of that is there is that... Um, you know, one of my points today was kind of use your power, you know, and we talk about power and plugging in and everything and plugging into the system itself. So, you know, remembering that your local representatives, whether it's in your city or town, um, your county, your state, um, and then up to the federal level these people are elected to work for you, you know, you don't work for them. And so it's really important to to advocate for the things that are really important, which is your health and um, and environmental health. So participating in any campaigns, whether it's letter writing, um, emails, petitions, phones, those kinds of things, and and, hearing from their constituents really does make a difference. So don't think that your voice is not heard. It definitely is, and it makes a huge impact. I love that. Um, so you know you can advocate like you were talking about before for bike lanes, um, public transportation, fresh produce, you know more plant-based options, um, eliminating plastic waste. There are some cities that are able to do that successfully. Why not have that throughout the country?
0: Yes, learn from other communities that are do- doing it well, and it's it's no secret they're they're telling their story online. So a lot of keeping up with um, what people are. What amazing accomplishments people are achieving!
1: Absolutely, and you know, if you if you do have the opportunity and you're you're you know you want to participate in some campaigns, even reducing incentives for fossil fuel companies, for example, uh, divesting from fossil fuel companies. If you are investing, those are also um, really great opportunities for patients to be able to you know make a difference. Mm-hmm.
0: It seems like we're in a time when people are a lot more sensitive than they traditionally were to the plight of um, the uh, those who are less privileged. And, um, and, and now is a good time to not only speak up for yourself, but speak up for your neighbors who might not be as well-to-do as you are. Um, and if you're someone who does have some kind of uh, economic or other disadvantage, um, you know trumpet trumpet your concerns you know point out to your elected officials how the, how the system is stacked against you how you're forced to live in this uh, ne- near this coal-fired power plant that uh, um, that you know we, we really could be divesting from and uh it's just one of many many examples
1: yeah no you're absolutely right um and there's there's apps online that are free that will help you do that much easier so it could be as easy as, as five minutes so um, one of my favorites is called Five Calls. Have you heard of that? No. <laughs> so it's an, um, it's an app. I think it's available on iPhone and Android. Um, and it's free on iPhone. Um, I believe on both. But basically, it provides you numbers and scripts really quickly. It just marks down where you live and then what your local representatives are. And then it provides you with the numbers. So you literally can make five phone calls within five minutes. Um, and then it also tracks what categories of outreach you've already done. So that's just a great um, kind of great tool to use um, to help boost your activism if you're new to it um, and kind of get your feet wet.
0: Oh my gosh, that's so cool.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Thank you for sharing that. <laughs> no problem. So is there anything else on your list?
1: So I wanted to dive as a physician um, and, you know, as as both of us kind of see our patients um, and we see the impact of climate change on their health and we're kind of seeing it on a one to, you know, one patient to one patient level. So I really appreciate this opportunity and this stage to talk to a lot of your patients and, you know, a lot of listeners At once, but I thought this would be a really great opportunity to talk about how um, you know what steps you can take for your health um, and health diseases, as well as your medications that you're taking and you know how to start that conversation with your physician. So, um, you know, as a physician kind of practicing in the last few years, especially as as I got my feet wet after training and. And. in ambulatory medicine, you know, we start developing relationships with patients. And you know, some some patients really come to mind when I think about their disease process over, you know, over time or over when I saw them and how it's affected them and how climate change has affected their disease. So, you know, just recently in the last two weeks, we've seen, um, I've seen a dozen or so patients that, you know, came in very worried because they were having Sneezing and coughing um, and symptoms, and they were just petrified that they had COVID when, in fact, you know, they were demonstrating the symptoms of severe allergies. Um, and that's due to climate change. We're seeing earlier seasons, um, earlier pollen seasons, longer pollen seasons, um, and more severe disease. Um, I think about, you know, my patient who's a 28 year old um, San Salvadorian migrant worker. and He's 28. He's been working in the fields for about 15 years now, and he has end-stage renal disease and is on dialysis because mm-hmm. of his repeated trauma um, to his kidneys over time with heat-related illness. So, you know, he was de- dehydrating himself. He didn't get breaks um, in the shade. He didn't get enough hydration, and as a result, now he's on dialysis and waiting for a transplant. And he's 28 years old.
0: That's his reward for all that hard work so that we could have cheap food, huh?
1: Yeah, it's, it's heartbreaking. Um, and it's a really big issue in San Salvador. You know, as I'm reading more and more about Meso, uh, Mesoamerican nephropathy, which is what they're calling it, um, You know, they're seeing, they're seeing this a lot in you know, places like Houston or uh, really big migrant communities are seeing that as well. Um, and some of these patients, when they're undocumented, you know, need to get their dialysis and get their emergency dialysis in the emergency room once a week, but that over time, um, because they don't have health insurance, but that over time, you know, doesn't, doesn't help their, um, their health at all. So it is really heartbreaking, you know, that situation. Um, another patient that I saw um, last year, she was um, an elderly Indian woman from New Delhi and she had just, you know, moved here um, to live with her, her kids. And she's sitting on my exam table, you know, telling me that she feels really short of breath. She's never felt this way before, and you know, she's sitting in her beautiful Indian sari. And as I'm listening to her lungs, she's, you know, has wheezing, and she's never had asthma as a child. Um, and you know, now she has, you know, obstructive lung disease from all of the pollution that she was exposed to for years living in Delhi. And you know, I'm sitting here you know, she's in her sorry, and I'm teaching her how to use an inhaler. Mm-hmm. And So all of these, you know, all of these kind of examples, these micro examples of, of climate change are just really, you know, they're really powerful as you sit back. And so, you know, I would tell our patients, you know, make sure you know your health conditions and how they relate to climate change. I think that's really important. Um, some of the biggest ones kind of, you know, that that we should look out for as patients is health related illnesses, air pollution, Pollen um, and heart disease. So, if you do, if you've had a heart attack or a stroke um, on these hot days that are coming up soon, especially earlier in the summer, um, you know, it's really important to stay hydrated. It's really important to stay in the shade. Avoid, you know, avoid going out between kind of hours of 10 or 11 a.m. and 3 p.m. when it's at its peak. Um, Let your doctor know what kind of occupation you have because that can make an impact on what kind of, um, you know, what kind of medications we might, we should be able to, we should provide you to avoid any complications of that. Um, And, you know, cool often. So if you are feeling symptoms of heat related illness, for example, you know, you're feeling dizzy or confused or thirsty, get in the shade, you know, put some water on yourself or drench, make your, you know, your t-shirt wet um, and try to seek help as quickly as possible. Uh, yeah, so those are some of the things. Uh, some other, you know, other than heart disease, lung disease is really important. So if you're a smoker and you have, um, you know, COPD or emphysema, if you have asthma, you're, you know, it's really important to know what your high pollen days are when you're going outside or if the, if the weather is gonna be very humid for you, if it's gonna be too cold for you um, and what those kinds of health related, um, heat-related illness is going to do to your, to your lungs. So that's really important as well to make sure that you're optimized um, in, your, in your lung care.
0: Absolutely. Um, yeah, the respiratory diseases, the, the PM 2.5 particulates mm-hmm. and other pollutants are so toxic um, to us, not just our lungs, but our hearts. And they cause systemic inflammation, they increase stroke rates, they increase heart attacks. Um, it's just uh, bad news all around. One of the tragedies you spoke of uh, disparities is that uh, people who um, are are of lower socioeconomic status are exposed to disproportionately more of this air pollution than um, than the the wealthy.
1: Absolutely, uh, yeah. yeah. That wealthy can escape from that area as well a lot mm-hmm. easier um, than than people with. Um, know different social determinants of health and um you know a lot of the the factories or you know um the output that was sent into the water system or you know the pollutants um you know like coal uh, trains and those kinds of things were built you know historically were built around around these communities and so we do see a lot more um a lot more effect of that And that's, you know, and that's, that's devastating because it's harder to treat and it's harder for them to get access to to care sometimes um, and harder to get treatment for it, you know, successfully.
0: Yeah, yeah, think of, uh, you know, somebody living out in the exurbs driving their sport utility vehicle into the city to work and driving home, they're exporting their their pollution to uh, more disadvantaged uh, people.
1: Absolutely,
0: absolutely. Um, that's tragic, the, the story about your, uh, your patient from Delhi. Um, she probably uh, didn't deserve all that Yeah. Uh, all that lung damage that she incurred um, and it's, uh, it's sad when it, when it has to happen. Um, hopefully we can uh, avoid Delhi's level of pollution uh, throughout the world, including in Delhi. Um, yeah. Okay, is there anything else on your list?
1: And I was just gonna go into medications, some medications that can um, kind of, you know, talk to your physician about whether medications could affect your health with extreme um, extreme temperatures. We talked about one, which is called diuretics or water pill. Um, if you are on one of those, you're more easily, you're, you know, part of the way that it works is, is um, you urinate out a lot more water. So if you are, you know, traveling outside on a hot day or working outside, um, as um, for your job, it's going to, you know, it's going to take more hydration to protect your kidneys. So that's really important. Um, some other medications, like medication stimulants, like for ADHD can increase your body temperature. So if you're outside on a hot day um, and you're taking one of those medications, just be really careful. You know, sometimes uh, your temperature can rise even more and you can you have a harder time cooling off.
0: What, what, what are some examples of that?
1: What um. So, Ritalin and am- amphetamines. Oh, okay. Can so do that. Mm-hmm.
0: ADHD medicines.
1: Yeah. Um, and then anticholinergics, laxatives. So, if you're taking, you know, laxatives, uh, it tends to kind of dehydrate you. So, you can be a little bit more prone to dehydration or heat-related illnesses. Um, beta blockers, NSAIDs, anti-inflammatories like Motrin, ibuprofen have to be really careful because if you're not drinking enough water and then on top of that you're taking a medication that can harm your kidneys that could do kind of double damage.
0: Ah, this is a great point. So be especially these drug drugs can always always carry some risk of kidney damage and other absolutely of, especially in the heat. Um that that's a that's a good one. So the non steroidal anti inflammatory drugs and blood pressure drugs in general, like Absolutely.
1: So even beta blockers can decrease, right. So beta blockers, like if you're on a metoprolol, any of the olols. So if you're on a tenolol, metoprolol, um, you know, part of the vasodilation and it can decrease your ability to kind of, um, you know, bounce back from heat, heat related. So we want to make sure. I actually have a really interesting story about um, a medication induced heat stroke that I had. Mm. I wanted to share with you. So, um, I have a patient, he's in his mid fifties with diabetes and metabolic syndrome. So he's, um, you know, overweight, uh, obese and has high blood pressure, um, has diabetes and he's a mail carrier. And um, because it gets really hot in those bands in the summertime, he's had two episodes of heat stroke already. And so In May, when the weather starts to get warmer, I take him off of one of his medications, which is called Jardians, and I put him on insulin for three months um, to avoid any future dehydration. And then I put him back on Jardians um, in September, October, when it cools off.
0: So does Jardians cause dehydration?
1: It increases, um, so it increases oh. like with, yeah. So with renal output, it increases uh, glucose, glucosuria. So with that, there is increased. Um, there's
0: actual yeah. volume loss. Oh, yeah. That's brilliant. Um, and so, so,
1: yeah. So before I put him on it, you know, I was talking to him. I was like, this is going to drop your blood pressure, you know, all of that. And then he told me, well, doc, I've already had, you know, I, I, I can't keep up with the, the fluid. It gets, it gets to 120 degrees. He was telling me in those bands. Yeah. Oh And he's like, I've I've already had a heat stroke twice. And I was like, well, I can't have you on this medicine in the summertime. And so we figured out, and he didn't want to be on insulin the whole year. So we figured out a workaround that. Um, But that was just like one of those examples where it's just, um, it's really important, again, to know your medications and to talk to to your doctor. You know, what are my possible side effects that can happen? What should I look out for this? You know, how often should my kidneys be, be, um, be monitored every year, you know, take um, kind of advocate for your own health and kind Mm -hmm. of take that into your control.
0: That's good advice. Uh, Anytime you're starting a new drug is ask a whole lot of questions about the risks. Um, Yeah, there's a lot there. Uh, The the Blood pressure drugs in general, I've read that our blood pressure naturally drops in the summertime. And so it is appropriate to scale back blood pressure drugs, but especially the diuretics, They, they are a special offenders. When it comes to um people uh, passing out right or
1: yeah um and that's heat yeah exhaust. and Dave, that's because with the heat your body kind of um your your arteries uh kind of you know naturally vasodilate a little bit to help you cool off yeah. so as a result yeah, yeah
0: definitely want to
1: avoid
0: that and, <laughs> no that's terrific and uh, watching those non anti-inflammatory drugs i mean the heat is a very real problem for people who spend any amount of time outdoors Uh, and we see it all the time I mean in the summertime we see people passing out one alcoholic beverage at at a uh, wedding reception boom they pass out I mean passing out is a real problem and it can you can get injured passing out
1: absolutely absolutely Uh,
0: good okay that's that's super helpful advice what else
1: Yeah, so, you know, again, just to kind of recap, learning,
0: mm-hmm. um, you know,
1: getting the facts, calculating your own carbon footprint, if you're a numbers person, just to get an idea kind of, mm-hmm. you know, of what, what impact you're having, your own household is having, because it's not just about the big companies and, you know, the oil industry, it's also all of us um, having an impact and kind of implementing those changes, all those small steps that we've said, you know, some of those are free, they, they're cost effective um, and they'll make a really big difference. Mm-hmm. And then sharing it, sharing that, those ideas with your community members, with your church members, you know, your, your mommy groups, your daddy groups, <laughs> um, your office
0: right. and yeah. kind of
1: sharing that knowledge. So it's not, you know, it's not just you going through this, you guys can do it as a group. I think that that's really empowering.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, as Greta Thunberg says, you know, with the climate emergency and the you know, the stakes as they are, she's she did, she questions why it isn't the only thing we're talking about.
1: Absolutely. Why,
0: why does the news talk about anything else? At a minimum, we can have a lot more conversations about climate, and uh, and and we have to get curious about things. What? Why don't we have solar panels? And why are we gonna? Why are we buying this um this uh, gasoline burning uh, automobile and why do we need natural gas for our heat I've read for example that um the, the heat pumps can be more certainly a whole lot more energy efficient but even cheaper than um than burning um well, methane natural gas for our oh for that's our- interesting yeah and that's one of the one of those big pretty darn impactful things that you can do is to switch your so when it comes time to buy to replace your furnace let's get away from burning stuff everybody I mean we really the 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 upside of burning stuff is 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 gone absolutely there is no more reason why we should be burning stuff other than to survive and uh, right now but we need to change our system so that in the long term in the future. We're not burning stuff anymore, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it is really um, reassuring that, you know, especially the last few years, um, not a lot. Or I felt like uh, some of the the steps we had taken forward in environmental health were kind of, we had, um, we had backtracked on. So it was reassuring that there are some private companies or a lot more private companies are getting on board to help with that, but it really does take a village. Mm-hmm. So it's not gonna be enough for all of the private companies around the country to be environmentally you know, environmentally sound in the next 10 or 15 years. Households have to do it and then we have to pass legislation. It really needs to be a three-pronged approach. Everyone needs to be all in on this.
0: Mm-hmm. We need to be smart about it, right? We can't just do lip service and, and make mm-hmm. little changes, right?
1: Yeah, and you're right. I mean, the time is now, if not now, then when? Um, we're seeing this already. It's again, it's no longer an issue of over there or really far away from us. It's in our backyard, mm. it's in our homes now.
0: And it's such a win-win to address it because you potentially address uh, the, the, the health disparities, economic disparities, as well as um, our, our individual health and uh, you know, also biodiversity. You know, when you, when you get away from eating as much meat um, that we we reduce the economic drivers to burning the Amazon rainforest and um, wiping absolutely. out species. Uh, so there's it's such a win-win-win when we when we start to learn how to tread more lightly on this planet.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I gave um, I gave the example of um, you know Alan Cordy and you know the the little boy. I mean that I cannot take that. That picture out of you know out of my memory, um, you know, just seeing his lifeless body on the beach there. And you know, some of you might be asking, kind of, how is that related to climate change? So um, in Syria, Syria is just one example of many. Um, you know, Sudan's another example where because of the drought and because of climate change, the um, you know, there was there was famine and then there was economic instability. And as a result, there was a, a, a political uprise. And so you saw these people, you know, that couldn't live safely in their country anymore. And they went to seek help, you know, in, in Southern Europe and at Turkey shores. So, you know, it's, it's all related. It's mm-hmm. all related.
0: You're absolutely right, yep. Um, so let me ask you this last question. Um, if the world were to read your checklist and, and start to implement it whenever we needed to, What would be the impact?
1: That's a great question. (laughs) Um, you know, as we're talking about patients' health and, um, you know, I would say that that would be one of the biggest impacts is to your own health, um, and to the, to environmental health. And again, just both of them are, are related to each other. So every, you know, every car that we put out there that that's, you know, running on diesel, every plastic bottle we throw away without recycling properly is impacting your health directly. Mm -hmm. So if we take the steps, we know that we're going to be breathing a better future in 20, 30 years. Um, We're going to be eating a healthier future. Um, We're going to be, you know, living, living a better future, Mm -hmm. not just for us, but all the other species that, that habitate, um, you know earth.
0: Yeah we gotta learn to be a better uh, ancestor.
1: Yeah I think there's a new documentary called 2040 that talks about like if things went right what it would look like. Um, I think that's what it's called um, and you know that would <laughs> I haven't seen it yet but um, you know I, I I can just imagine you know just having having more greenery everywhere having you know, having less famine, having less, um, you know, civil wars, having um, more economic stability, um, improving infrastructure by improving transportation, you know, and um, kind of help raising everyone up, um, you know, not just, you know, not just making the rich wealthier, um, but raising all of our community up. That's, Mm -hmm. that's what I would see if we did improve climate change. And that's just such a, you know, such a great, <laughs> great dream, and I hope that we can make that a reality.
0: Me too. I certainly certainly agree. Well, I have to thank you, Dr. Punamaru. This is a this has been a great um, lesson for me, and hopefully help for our listeners as well. That, that um, this is a really solid list, uh, and I think that if everybody were to start pra- living in this way, um, the benefits are really profound for for the planet and, and for yourself and your loved ones. I mean, the list goes on and on. So it's just, it's a huge win, 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 win when we, when we switch to healthier, healthier eating, healthier living. Um, so thank you for, for all that you're doing um, to help get this message out there. I, I really salute you for being at the forefront of this. I, I really feel like medicine of the future is going to be, um, very much <clears throat> practiced in this way with a lot more of the advocacy and a lot more of the attention to sustainability than we do now. So thank you so much for, um, for, for doing what you're, what you're doing and spreading the word and speaking as you did. And I hope you get more opportunities to speak because I did have the opportunity of, of watching your lecture and it was, it was fascinating and, 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 and really inspiring. So please keep it up.
1: <laughs> thank you those are like extremely kind words and uh you know as as a resident you were very inspirational to me so I think so much of what I do is because I learned that that was possible to incorporate that into my practice so thank you for all the inspiration
0: oh my gosh you're too <laughs> well what a pleasure it was I wish you all the best take thank care you.
1: all right thank you.
0: bye. bye So let us summarize the conversation and summarize the checklist that Dr. Maru and I built. So here is the checklist on what people can do for climate change and their health as built by Dr. Maru and Dr., myself, Dr. Donahue on uh, April 30th, 2021. Number one, avoid being outside during peak heat times, especially between 10 a.m. and 3 p.m. Be mindful, number two, is be mindful of air quality, especially if you are prone to breathing diseases like uh, allergies, asthma, COPD, so those lung diseases. airnow.gov can tell you when it's safe to go outside. Plan your outdoor time for when the air is more breathable. When you need to be outside, number three, stay hydrated and get some electrolytes. Symptoms that you may be dehydrated include if you're feeling thirsty, if you have a mild headache, if you have some dizziness, lightheadedness, uh, if you have an increase in your heart rate. So for those who have to work outdoors, um, this damage uh, over time can affect the kidneys. So there's a condition called, it's been called Mesoamerican nephropathy. It's so common that we have uh, workers from Latin America who are working out in the heat and are getting kidney damage from the dehydration and all the stress that that puts on our kidneys. Number four, beware of certain medicines because certain medicines can make you more vulnerable to the effects of climate change. For example, blood pressure medicines pose a very significant risk. As the weather warms, we actually need less blood pressure medicine and it can be appropriate to kind of titrate down some of those medicines as you enter into the warmer months. In particular, thiazide diuretics, like hydrochlorothiazide can dehydrate you, beta blockers, calcium channel blockers, so-called ACE inhibitors or angiotensin receptor blockers, ARB medicines. All of those um, can impair your body's ability to give off heat. Uh, It can block your ability to uh, cool off. Also, they can, uh, in some cases, dehydrate you and certainly lower your blood pressure and make you more likely to pass out. There's a class of medicines called anticholinergics, and these uh, include things like allergy medicines like Benadryl, medicines for overactive bladder, uh, and others. Uh, And these medicines um, can reduce the sweating and um, thus make you more sensitive to heat. Some of the psychiatric medicines, like those that we take for ADHD, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, Uh, antipsychotics, and certain antidepressants like the tricyclics in particular um, can reduce your resistance to heat-related diseases. And and the fourth class of drugs I'll caution you about is the non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs like ibuprofen or naproxen, uh, and also some um, antibiotics like sulfa or ciprofloxacin or doxycycline. All these can make you more sun-sensitive. And of course, the NSAIDs, The anti-inflammatories can also uh, make your kidneys uh, more sensitive to damage. Uh, Number five, be a solution to the climate emergency. If we all address climate change by polluting more, such as getting more air conditioners, um, things will only get worse. So we need to start by learning the facts. Educate yourself regularly by reading climate news, which is becoming more and more common in our regular news sources like our newspapers like the New York Times for example, Um, but uh, there's also uh, documentaries like An Inconvenient Truth or the Our Planet series on television, Plastic Ocean, Food Inc, and many more. Number six, I think it's important to calculate your carbon footprint. So here is where you go and you enter some information about yourself. It asks you a series of questions and and at the end you uh, it calculates how much of an impact you are having because many of us aren't aware of because it's free to dump your carbon pollution into the atmosphere uh, unfortunately so we we don't feel any cost pressure from harming the environment Um, so it's really the onus is on us to go and figure it out for ourselves and kind of track ourselves some of the things that we do carry a very big footprint We recommend you switch to the cleaner energy. Um, Contact your utility. Uh, You can switch over to solar-powered wind. Um, You can switch to uh, solar-powered generated electricity or wind-powered generated electricity. Uh, Most states now permit you to source your electricity from other sources, and it turns out that it is um, um, cost-neutral or even can be beneficial. It's getting, getting much more... Um, close in cost relative to the dirty pollution uh, versions of electricity generation. Uh, number eight, reduce your footprint um, by actually consuming less. So this is one thing we talk more about than we actually do. Consuming less means actually buying less stuff and reusing things. Recycling is part of that as well, but probably not as a, not as powerful as reducing the stuff that we're buying. Number nine, food waste is a leading contributor to climate change. Uh, According to the World Resources Institute, about a third of food produced for human consumption is lost or wasted. So what can we do? Well, at the grocery store, um, you can buy the the single bananas or the food that looks like it's going to get passed over. Um, In your fridge, you can reach for the food that's going to expire the soonest. Uh, that's what I always do when we try not to ever throw any food out. Obviously, don't buy any more than you need. Another important thing is the nature of the food. The animal-based animal based foods have a much bigger climate impact than plant-based foods, uh, simply because of the inefficiencies of, of raising animals for slaughter. Um, so uh, those, those whole plant foods, which are also so much healthier for our bodies, also happen to be the same foods that are healthier for the planet. Number 10, reduce plastic water bottle consumption. Uh, Something like 17 million barrels of oil are used to produce 50 billion plastic water bottles every year. It's something humanity survived without for many centuries before the wonderful invention of the plastic water bottle. I encourage you to use reusable containers, uh, and that goes For all things. I mean, single use plastic in general is the enemy here. Number 11, clean your local transportation. Walk and bike more. So, this is a big win win for your health as well because you're moving your body, you're getting exercise. If you can live in a place where you don't even need a car, this is a very big uh, impact if you can reduce your need for actually having a car. So, using public transportation. uh, If you need a car, get go electric. You know, every time you, we, we buy another internal combustion engine, we're locking in a lot of emissions, a lot of extra emissions for the, life, the whole life of that car, 20, 30 years, whatever it might be. Share your green skills with others. Um, this is number 12. Um, spread the word. I mean, we, we need to build a community around this. <clears throat> we need to move political pressure so that we start changing the system, we put a price on carbon and, and we can start driving down um, emissions, in my opinion. And number 13, use your power locally. So contacting elected officials and representatives, um, advocate for health, for environmental health, um, and uh, you know, make your voice heard. So thank you for listening, everyone. I hope that this has been helpful for you. Peace.